Yo, this is Calvin, half of the hosts for the Quarantine Podcast. Just wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. It's free and we appreciate your support. Also, follow Justin and I on Instagram to take part in polls and surveys and tell us who you'd like us to interview next. My Instagram is at csmith underscore. That's S-E-E-S-M-I-T-H underscore. Justin's is at jfills underscore. That's at J as in Johnson, P-H-I-L-L-Z underscore. Again, thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy our episodes. What up, what up? Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're well, wherever you're listening from. This week, we did something a little different. We have five guests on this episode who are all involved in cycling in one form or another. Two of the guests are professional cyclists, and we chat about whether women and men should be paid the same in bike racing, their thoughts on whether the cycling community is growing or not, and a number of different topics. Be sure to follow these individuals on Instagram. You can find the link to their profiles in the episode description. And thanks again for listening. Stay well. You are now tuned in to the Quarantine Podcast with your host, C. Smith and Jay Fields. Seclusion, sports, and stuff. Let's get it. Welcome to uh, episode eight of the Quarantine Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Calvin. As usual, we're doing a, something a little bit different this week. We don't have my co-host, Justin, and that's for a specific reason. We're doing a special, I guess you want to call it racing roundtable, and Justin does not ride bikes at all, so it kind of would be pointless for him to be in this discussion. And I am a lowly Cat 4 racer, so I will be moderating and allowing the people with more experience than I have um, to kind of lead the discussion. And I just, we'll, we'll start with the introduction. Um, we'll start with Kim, ladies first. My mom will be disappointed in me if I didn't have the, the, the women going first. So go <laughs> ahead, start, it, start us off. Uh, my name is Kimberly Lucci. I race bicycles for DNA Pro Cycling. So essentially, I am just a professional exerciser. I've been (laughs) racing bikes professionally for, this is my second year on DNA. Uh, I spent two years on LA Sweat before this, um, and I've been racing total for about six years now. Okay. Does DNA actually stand for something, or is it just DNA? Uh, It stands for Dirt and Asphalt. Uh, DNA is a clothing company who happens to be our title sponsor. Nice. Um, Johnny, you want to introduce yourself next? Yeah. Uh, Johnny Corcoran, um, race road bikes locally here in Arizona for Bicycle House, a local bike shop here and construction zone uh, racing. And then I race fixed gear bikes as well for the state bicycle company also here in uh, Tempe, Arizona. So local, local crit racer. Um, started getting serious about riding in like 2013, 2014 is when I got my first road bike and yeah, I was hooked. Went in deep. And you're, you're pro now too, right? 
Uh, it's pretty, that's a pretty generous term, my friend, but, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm not getting paid to do any of this, but, um, okay. uh, sponsored. And, uh, if I, if I signed up for a race, I would enter the pro category. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, you that's know what? Yeah, confusing, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It that's is, it is confusing. confusing but... Uh, next we have Joey. Joey, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, my name's Joey Uliano. Um, may at one predominantly race road, but I'll dabble in cycle cross now and then. Um, I've pretty much been riding since I was like six or seven, but started racing in 2005 back in Midwest. Man, you've been doing it. Which part of the Midwest? Uh, Indiana. I went to Purdue for my undergrad. Okay. I've been out there twice. I've been to Indianapolis and then I went to some, I forget, some random remote part of Indiana for a basketball game when I was in college. And uh, Mm -hmm. I just remember it being super cold, man. Yeah, it's not known for its pleasant winters. That's (laughs) (laughs) at all. Um, And then we have Rob on the line as well. Rob, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, Robert Aldecoa. I raced road for Spooky Factory. Here's uh, circuit I in Phoenix. Uh, raced with Johnny a bunch. Cal Rumsey, obviously. Um, category two, graduated to Masters 35 plus. So I'm super excited about that. Um, <laughs> picked up a bike probably about the same as Johnny did um, around 2012, 2013 ish. Uh, you know, I grew up like riding BMX stuff in the desert. I grew up out in Phoenix, um, but didn't really ride bikes a lot until yeah about that 2013 so nice i think i've heard of spooky before too (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually i'm actually a part of spooky factory team too so shout out to spooky gang and then we have zach too zach go ahead and introduce yourself zach thompson uh local crit event hoster i guess i don't know um, <laughs> coming off an injury so not racing just um chilling before all this quarantine uh yeah so i just host races in phoenix fixie races i race fixie races and anything with one gear that's about it no road racing for me not as fancy as everyone else in here i wish i was <laughs> for the non maybe one day What's a fixie, Zach, for people who don't know what that is? Oh, track bike. Okay. So you guys know so if they don't and then if they, I guess if they don't know what a track bike is, um one gear, no brakes, full send. Send it. Super send dangerous it. but super fun. Yeah, super dangerous but super fun. <laughs> so to start it off, um, what I want to do is I just want to kind of get everybody's thoughts on, you know, the cycling community in general, whether you feel like it's growing or shrinking. As a lot of you have said, you've been doing this for a while, longer than I have. Um, and then additionally, kind of your thoughts on whether um, what are, excuse me, what you think the solutions are to help prevent it from shrinking. Or if you think it's growing, what do you think cycling community can continue to do? to uh keep this trend going so we'll start first with um kim 
Kim, do you think the cycling community in general is shrinking or growing, and then why? Uh, I would say the cycling community in general is growing. Um, I think that with, you know, gravel racing or gravel events and just like Grand Fondo style events, like there's there's so many more people getting out and, and doing like those sort of sanctioned things. And then you just see, you know, you, you just see tons of people out riding bikes, especially right now, um, you know, during this yeah. quarantine, especially with, with gyms and, and things like that being closed. Uh, a few of my friends that work at bike shops, you know, have just said that they, this is like the busiest that they've seen the shop in, you know, in ever, even right. before El Tour, you know, the greatest cycling event of Tucson ever. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think that people are just, it's just more accessible, you know, there's just, there's more opportunities and then you have things, you know, like Zwift or like those like Peloton bikes and stuff like that. You know, it's just, it's kind of just getting people to, you know, think outside of your traditional gym membership, I guess. Exactly. I'm all about Zwift. Um, and then what, so for the non-cyclists again, what are you, what is gravel riding? And then what is uh, grand fondo if they're curious about those things? Cause I know you mentioned them. Um, gravel is basically, you know, it's like a mixture of, uh, a cycle cross and a, and a road bike event kind of a thing. Um, you're riding a weird curly barred bike on dirt. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, something that's fun, <laughs> something that's fun to do for some weird reason. Um, you know, why would you want to ride a mountain bike when you could ride something with smaller tires and make it harder? Um, and Grand Fondos super hard. Uh, are essentially just large group rides. I, I guess a Grand Fondo would kind of be like the equivalent of like doing a, like a marathon, like you went like something like that, or, you know, like a, like a 5k where it's just, there's just tons of people and you have a course and there's yep. aid stations and you're just out there and you can, you know, you can do it as fast as you want, or you can just do it to, you know, see how far you can make it. Yeah. Like marathon on a bike, basically. And, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's not a race like you mentioned, but I, I feel like, as soon as people put numbers on, no matter what it is, they treat it like a race. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be, be people out there on? pushing oh, it. Sorry. Yep, every time. Johnny, what's your what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's very true from Ken. I'll I'll go a different direction. I think in some ways, I guess you could say that we are on a little bit of a decline. I guess it really depends on what you want to look at and say, what piece of the sport do we want to pick apart? In a lot of ways, yeah, this is the busiest it's ever been. But I guess if you look at the probably the aspect of the sport that affects us the most would be our local Arizona racing scene. And, yeah, we are seeing less racing pop up than more. Like, we're you know, each year the calendar gets smaller and smaller. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, of course, that's uh, we try our best and, um, but with that, with the smaller and less events, we're seeing bigger fields. And so that's cool. And you also can see things like, okay, the USA crit series, which it's almost yeah. like America finally figured it out. It was like, Oh, 
this is what we're good at. This is what people like to watch. <laughs> it's not the, exactly. It's not the four-hour road race or time trial that people are tuning in to watch on TV. It's this hour in your face in a in a popular downtown area that's super accessible. I mean, I've done a handful of them, um, and that is the greatest experience on a bike I've ever had. And I know Kim's done a bunch of them too. And and Joe, you've done a handful. And um, I feel like in a lot of ways that's only going to get better. And there's rumors of it coming to Tempe. I've heard rumors. Let's I've heard Let's too. get some conspiracy hope, theories out there. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you, it, it, in some ways it's a declining and in other ways it's, it's on a, an incline. So I think it is a hard sport to get into. It's expensive. You know, like you look at basketball or running, all you need is a ball and shoes. Um, yep. So that's a lot easier to get into cycling. You need the bike, you need, it's expensive. You need the shoes, you need kind of the, to fit into the culture. It's a hard culture to, to get into. I mean, I'll, it can be pretty elitist and, and pretty like, Oh, you don't <laughs> shave your legs. Like, you know, there's those unwritten rules. And so it, it's a lot of times when it's not super welcoming, when you're just starting out trying to get into racing and you're showing up in the middle of nowhere, at a 7am crit with three other guys, it, it's probably not the most fun. Um, but, and, in other ways you look at, yeah, what USA crits is doing and a lot of other big promoters and, and guys like Zach and, and Joey and what they're trying to do. And, um, it's been really cool to, to be a part of. And, um, speaking of the races too. So Joey, I know I want to ask you next, what are your thoughts? I know you're a part of ABRA and then the collegiate board. Can you first just explain what ABRA is and then kind of give the listeners what your thoughts are? Yeah. So, um, ABRA stands for Arizona Bicycle Racing Association. So we're uh, the local arm of USA Cycling in the state. So for the most part, every state has its own um, locally locally uh, staffed board that kind of coordinates all of the races and the officials and upgrades and, and so on and so forth in their region. Uh, sometimes the, the association will span, you know, multiple states depending on like population. Um, so that's what ABRA is. Um, and then there's also collegiate cycling, which is modeled very similar on what we're used to with uh, domestic racing. So similar categories, similar structure, um, except instead of it being broken into um, local associations, it's broken into conferences, which um, usually span a couple different states. So for us, it's just Arizona, New Mexico, and El Paso. Um, but there's, you know, others, the Midwest is like nine States. The East coast is like 12. Um, so there's different kind of geographic boundaries that are, right. You know, defined by, defined by the number of schools there to make it a viable thing to have, have racing. Um, so it's not a common misconception is it's a NCAA sport, which it is not, um, there are there are teams out there that provide some scholarships. Those are mostly found at uh, your smaller, uh, less known colleges. They use it as a marketing and advertising tool. Um, so things like Lee's McRae, um, Lindenwood, Marion, King College, a lot of times places you've probably never heard of. Um, they <laughs> they do the scholarships because you know it's an easy way for them to get enrollment up. Um, and get some positive news about their campus out there. So 
you know, they, they call them varsity in the sense that they have a coach and they pay for some tuition and entry fees and kits and stuff, but they're not, you know, on, on a large scale, it is not an NCAA sport by, by any means. Um, so that's two of my roles <laughs> that I do within yeah. cycling. <laughs> so uh, to your question um, about the community growing, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a couple different answers. Um, I'll put I'll put on my academic hat first because this is what I research, um, and I'll tell you that uh, similar to what Kim was saying, the community is absolutely growing in terms of just like people riding bikes in general. Um, like you know, talking and reading things about uh, bike bike shop sales and stuff, they're seeing like the busiest and high high highest number of sales, excuse me, that they've probably seen in a good while let's say 10, 10 plus years. Um, like some shops are completely, crazy. they can't get bikes. Um, you know, they're week long delays on doing repairs because, uh, you know, they're, they're so busy just building the bikes that they've already sold. So, wow. and so there's that, but there's also, you know, a lot of research that show, shows that really in, in almost any given urban population, like 50% of the, uh, people living there want to ride bikes, but, um, don't feel safe doing so. Um, so we could really see a big, big increase in just the cycling community in general by you know, having cities build protected bike lanes, um, bicycle boulevards, things like that. Um, yep. And this is also a huge component of getting more people riding bikes as well, especially in a sprawled out place like we have in Phoenix and Tucson. Um, so I'll, right. I'll, I'll shift my, the racing hat and, um, like Johnny was saying, it's kind of flatline in some places. It depends on where you're at. You know, if you're in the, I say like the East Coast or Midwest, it's kind of trending on the up. Um, if you're on the West Coast or Southwest where we're at, it's definitely trending on the downside in terms of both participation, um, annual, annual license sales, and number of events that are permitted each year. And there's a whole host of reasons on why that occurs um, on the roadside. And others have kind of alluded to them. You know, it's things like doing gravel, um, doing, <clears throat> excuse me, doing your Grand Fondos because they're less, you know, less competitive, not less competitive, but there's a different mindset approach to that versus like showing up to your road race or crit. Um, it's more welcoming, more supportive. Um, for, for the newer rider showing up to your first bike race, if you're not going there with friends or going there as part of a big team, uh, it can be a pretty cold experience showing up to a to a crit as a you know cat five at 7 a.m. <laughs> Absolutely. Both, both, physically, both physically cold and emotionally because you don't know anyone there and roadies can be rather elitist and not very welcoming. So you know, what's your odds of like hanging out and actually watching the rest of the races and stuff when you don't really know what's going on and you don't really know who's there. So that's the other part that's kind of driving to the client for the events is, you know, a lot of our events are put on by local, local teams, um, guys who guys and gals who end up getting, you know, life happens. So they move, um, they get tired of doing it for 30 plus years. You know, they want someone else to take over. Um, and that's not always, people aren't always willing to step up and put on an event because there is a lot that goes into the backside of it. 
which we'll yep. touch on later. But um, yeah, so promoters move on. So, and if no one steps up to save the event, then, you know, we start losing events. Like we lost with the Tucson Bicycle Classic this year. We're in discussion with someone, hopefully, to bring that back for 21. But I mean, you can, if you look back on the uh, Arizona, ArizonaCycling.org website, there's a section that lists all of the previous events that we've had over the last like 30 some years. Um, <clears throat> we have calendars for every year going back. And you can just see the decline in the number of events and the type of event too. So going from having predominantly road races in the 80s and 90s to mostly crits to now it's like four road races, maybe like 10 crits and a lot of time trials. So a lot, a lot of different factors at play there when it comes into like what, you know, what goes on in terms of like creating the races and like who's actually doing it and how they're passed on um, or not. And also, you know, creating that community so people feel welcome and, you know, growing it from that way of like making sure people are coming in and not leaving the sport because they don't feel like they're part of something. Right. Um, completely uh, understand that. Zach, what do you think? I mean, you're in a, the fixing community I know is different than the road uh, cycling community. So what are you seeing in the fixing community? Is it growing or shrinking and why? So in like in general, like everyone's saying right now, cycling is growing. But so for the fixed gear community, I would say it's kind of just like at a steady flat line right now. It's not really shrinking. It's not really growing, um, especially like in this time like that we're all in. Um, event side, kind of like what Johnny was saying, um, we used to do three events. Like, you know, we used to have it as a series. Now we moved it down to one race. That just is because of like how much it, like we'll get into that, like, you know, later, like, all the backside of how much it goes into racing and putting on races and stuff like that. We'll still always do our small little stuff, but like to do a big full blown event or to even try to do like a big full blown series, we had to step back a little bit and kind of back up and just do one race. So I would say like fixed gears just kind of at a flat line for me personally. I don't know. Like, how I don't want to voice my opinion for the whole community because some people will just yeah. say, ah, oh, fixed gear is like huge. It's always been like, yeah, it's big. And it's like, all right, dude, that's cool. Like, that's fine. You know what I mean? You always have those people. Um, road cycling, I'm not like super big on. I know it's like, it's pretty big, dude. Like, people love road racing. Like, I mean, even the big races that are four hours long, yeah, they are kind of, for most people, they're boring to watch but for like the average cyclist they're kind of interesting but crit racing that's where it's at people want to watch that so i don't know i guess we're gonna have to wait and see pre-covid see how events go and see what happens in the cycling community for all that but yeah for fixed gear i feel like it's kind of just at like a flat line chilling we get a decent amount of people out it's always like the same you got like your same 20 dudes you know that are always going to finish a race and then you got like a handful of people sometimes you don't like ever see and you're like dang this is kind of crazy so yeah just kind of at a flat line for fixed gear i would say right now feels like zach that fixed gear scene at least sometimes is a little bit more welcoming <laughs> than the road scene or just more accessible like you're just uh, seeing these kids that never raced before just jump into a race 
Yeah, dude, you, it's crazy. So like last year, I mean, we had kids as young as 15 with their parents coming out and signing all the, the paperwork and everything that we have. And they're like, yeah, my kid, like I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm like, all right, like here they go. Like, you know what I mean? That's, it's kind of cool. Right. It is a little more welcoming. It's a little more wild. Like I will say like, it's maybe oh, yeah. not super family orientated for like the underground crit side. That's why I'm trying to get into the more, like official side of it, you know, try to make it, it. more family, more spectator friendly, fun. Love it, That's dude. awesome. So good. Yeah. So I know we're talking a lot how some people think it's trending with the average cyclist. So if there's an average or entry level cyclist, they're listening right now. They didn't even know bike racing was a thing, right? Whether that be a, a male or a female, um, how would you guys, uh, we'll start with Johnny. How can they take the steps to becoming a bike racer? Maybe there's like a kid listening or somebody in their late twenties listening. How would you, uh, guide them into becoming a pro bike racer or a cat one racer? Heck yeah. Um, okay. Best piece of advice is find a local group ride and show up and, uh, try and do that every week. And so that's where you're going to race and ride and, and get comfortable riding with other people. It's where you're going to kind of train. You're going to ride with better guys than you are. You're going to learn so much. Um, that's going to take you, uh, to so many levels. That's a big part of my training right now. Um, and I mean, practically you got to get a license, register for a race and train. And so find a group ride, find the Facebook events, um, I think these guys have been doing a good job of putting a lot of these events and just promoting them super well. So they are super, um, accessible and people know about them. Um, and so, yeah, you find your local crit racing or, or any kind of racing and, um, find your local group rides. Usually it's all on the same website. Um, I know Joey's just done a good job of assembling all that into one great place. Um, and you go from there. So group rides, that's what I'll say. Kim, would you kind of jump in there? Oh yeah, go ahead, Rob. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that to me, that was, I mean, that's the absolute best advice, right? Because if you, like Johnny was saying earlier, like road cycling specifically, I think can be really intimidating for people because it's like, you got to have the nice bike, right? And then you got to go do your pride. Then you got to do a training plan. You got to get yourself a power meter. And then like, you don't want to get dropped in the race. And it, it feels very closed off and it feels very challenging, but it's just like, all you got to do, right? Find a group ride, find some people to ride with. And, and ride your ass off, right? Get dropped, have fun, go back the next week, and you're just going to get stronger. You're going to get more confident. You're going to meet people. Uh, and I, I just think that's the best way to get to the sport. I agree. Kim, Kim I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on that because I know as a female racing and riding a bike in general, you guys are kind of the minority. Like how, how can a woman that's listening to this kind of feel I guess I guess the courage to show up to a male-dominated sport or a male-dominated group ride and just crush it because there's a lot of women that I ride with who are absolute beast on the bike. You know what I mean? So it is possible to crush it and be a woman out oh, there. Absolutely, and and to touch back, like it, like everyone has kind of mentioned that they felt when they started maybe that like the road scene was a little bit elitist. And for me, I, I never like felt that, like I was never, I never showed up to a race or a ride and felt like people were like, you don't belong here. Like, who are you, you know, or maybe I was just so oblivious to it 
like because I was just like I don't know what I'm doing here I am you know um yeah but but I think like don't you know like a lot of like you just hear that a lot like everybody says that like it's like oh road cycling is very elitist and I think people just need to like go into road cycling and not like have that mentality that like oh am I gonna fit in like ride your bike ride your bike a lot find people that you want to ride bikes with and if you go somewhere and like you don't feel like you fit in there like don't ride bikes with those people because they're probably like not fun to ride bikes with then if you know yeah like uh you know i I think like everything that yeah everything that these guys have said is definitely like the, the way to do it you know find some people to ride bikes with find some people that are better at bikes than you to ride bikes with for sure. Like I'm so lucky to, you know, be based in Tucson and have rides like the shootout. Um, you know, it's like, that is that, that group ride is some of the hardest I like riding that I've ever done in my life. Like UCI road races, like, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is not the shootout in the winter time, you know, like, (laughs) So, so ride your bike with people that like are much better at bikes than you. Um, but be mindful of your abilities. And, and I, when I worked at bike shops and people would ask me like about group rides, I would definitely be like, well, you could do the shootout, but if you're like a very new cyclist and you're not sure how to ride your bike at speed in a group, don't just put yourself in a position to hurt yourself or hurt others because, you know, you want to go on the group ride and ride fast. Um, definitely like on top of spending right. a lot of hours pedaling your bike skills, skills are one of the things that like so many people just pass up on. And I know like Joey in particular and his roommate Kara, they go out and they practice skills. Not, not every bike ride has to be, you know, going hard, uh, as you can, uh, you know, you should definitely spend time where you learn how to corner, you learn how to bump off of people, you learn how to hold your bike up because <laughs> things happen, yeah. um, in a race and you need to, you know, you need to be able to react to those things. So I that's, agree. That's my two cents. Um, I like it. And then, so for putting on a race, I know we have, so Joey and Zach on here, um, both part or Joey's a part of Abra. Zach, I know you do your own fixie races. So let's start with Joey. Just kind of what goes into uh, putting on a race, how you promote it. And then can you just explain the difference between a sanctioned and non-sanctioned race? And then Zach, after Joey's done, just feel free to jump in. Sure. So um, I'll start off by saying, so Abra doesn't organize any events. We're just kind of the, the group that ensures no one steps on anyone else's toes during the race season um, and tries to kind of coordinate that calendar. So all the events are put on by, um, by and large in our state, by um, local teams. So it's someone who just really feels like giving back to the community a whole lot of time, um, putting on races. There's one guy in, in the state that who's like a professional promoter. So it's his living um jeff frost so he puts on um the state road race a couple mountain bike races some of the cross events um more well known for putting on sea otter and some other bigger events in california but by and large it's all a you know no one's making money off this 
right? It's it's all just we're all the promoters are doing it for the love of the sport because we feel like it's necessary um, to give back and and help it continue and, and grow. And what goes into it really depends on the type of race you're putting on. So if you're putting on you know a time trial that's out in the middle of nowhere, so I put on one of those out in Sam Manuel, which is on the northeast side of the Catalina Mountains, middle of nowhere, Pinal County, essentially. So super easy to get permission. There's no traffic. Um, you know, it's a $10 permit to the county. I sign some paperwork. Uh, I send them an agreement that I'll have like two portageons there. And I schedule the officials. I send them the insurance certificate that I get from USA Cycling. And we're good to go. I, um, you know, work with Sarah Minch on advertising the races. Um, we actually have an agreement with her and clipped in to promote all of the races that are um, organized um, underneath USA Cycling. So every race gets free advertising um, through through her website, which is also a great website for riders who are looking just to get into the sport. She has a great section on there about how to find group rides and get started, all that stuff. Um, and that's it for like a time trial. If you're doing something a little more complex like a crit, it really comes down on to the location of that that venue, right? Because you're you know closing down the streets um, for anywhere between six to ten hours, depending on how many categories that you're offering. So if you're doing it at like a you know like an office park or a subdivision that hasn't been built yet, which is unfortunately the staple in Arizona at the moment, um, those are pretty easy to get permission to do. There's a little bit of, you know, there's, there's few traffic control measures you have to do. There's usually don't have to have any police, um, or road signs or anything like that, because those are kind of enclosed in on themselves. Um, so similar process, you have to get, you know, permission from whoever owns the land, um, send them the insurance certificates and then, um, go about your day promoting it. If you're doing a crit in an urban environment, so something like the Valley of the Sun crit that's around the state capitol or um, ASU's crit or mine on the U of A's campus, any anytime you start moving off of those single landowner spaces, it becomes exponentially more difficult uh, to put on the race. So you go from having to deal with like one person who owns the property to now you're dealing with you know, every business along the course, plus the city, plus the street closures, the traffic engineering department, all the road signs that have to go up, um, you know, notifying people that the road's closed. <clears throat> um, it, it becomes something that, you know, a, a crit that's put on in like a, a business park, um, I would say typically costs like 3000 ish dollars, three to 4,000, um, is what it cost us when we were using the, the biopark here in Tucson. And then moving it to the U of A campus, it, it cost us probably close to like five, five or six, I think, um, just off the top of my head. And then the last event, something like a road race, is probably the most complex thing that you can, you can put on um, because you're dealing with, um, you know, getting permission from the county or cities and sometimes multiple jurisdictions on you know running your event through their area and again depending on where you put the course will impact the costs that are associated with it um, so as an example using my road race up in oracle the first couple of years we did it as a big 20 mile lap so you'd start in oracle um, you'd descend down the state highway 77 
um, to turn off to go south to Salmon Well and then back up a county road um, to the finish line. Using that like five mile stretch of the state highway um, required us to have to put out message boards on both ends four days out in advance at $200 a piece, as well as having to get an insurance policy for $500 million, or $5 million, excuse me, um, for using that state highway because they require more than the additional, more insurance than what's provided um, with your base permit from USA Cycling. So if you don't buy the additional policy for like, I think it's like $900 or so, um, no event. So we did that for a couple of years, but it was just, it became, the, the big breaking point was, you know, you have to have police at every intersection. So there was five on that course, two with the state highway. So the first two years we were able to use um, <clears throat> the sheriff's deputies from Pinal County. And then the state highway was like, no, we don't really like um, you using the sheriff's deputies. You have to use highway patrol, which costs 75% more. So instead of paying the police, you know, $50 an hour, you have to pay, you know, $80 an hour. You just have almost the same people sit there with their lights on. Right. And not just crazy. So, so it became, it, it became like too expensive to run the race in that iteration. So we changed it to only use um, county roads instead. So, you know, that helps eliminate a lot of the road um, traffic control costs as well as the police costs. So that's one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of road races in the state. That's a, a common question I get from riders is, you know, why don't we, you know, why isn't there a bunch of races up in Prescott? Like there used to be Congress, Yarnell, um, Wapaki Road Race, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's because of the insurance requirements that, that the state has set forth um, for using their, their uh, right away. And also the increased cost of having to have, um, you know, highway patrol staff those intersections and stuff. So it just becomes un unprofitable um, for a lot of people. And because, you know, this isn't our living, um, you know, I'm just doing this because I think we should have a cool road race in Oracle. You know, I'm, I'm not about to spend, I'm not about to lose like $4,000 on putting on an event, right? Like I'm not... <laughs> Not that generous of a, of a person. You're not rich off of this, Joey? No, no. A road race. So a road race like Oracle <laughs> costs $16,000 to put on. Um, and we'll, if we're lucky, we'll make about $1,000 off of it. That goes back to the, back to the U of A cycling team. Um, but there's been years where we've made like $35. Um, and there's been years where we've lost like $2,000. So. Joey, I have a solution. We need to get these highway patrol officers who are making $80 an hour to sponsor our races. Cause that, I should have been a highway patrol officer, man. That's, that's not a bad living. So it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> that's, that's honestly what, um, in the Midwest, what happens in a lot of cities, um, especially for crits in like the downtown environments. So when you look at something like, uh, a lot of the USA cycling crits, you know, like Athens twilight or the one in El Paso or wherever, um, the cities are ac actually footing the bill for the police and the road closures for the event because they see it as a big um, tourism increase, right? Right. So like, you know, downtown Athens in Georgia, when they do do that crit there, it's got to be, Kim, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's got to be like five or 6,000 spectators there, right? In the downtown area. Um, you know, Athens watching the is live a crazy experience. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's wall-to-wall -wall spectators the entire way around the course. And then you have all these riders flying in, you know, for the weekend, spending money. 
So the cities are like, yeah, we'll foot the bills for the cops and the traffic control. Like, absolutely. Um, and that happened for an extent here in Arizona, too, in uh, Yuma, when there was a crit there at the, uh, the North End Classic. Um, the police would foot the bills for that. But generally speaking, the city wants to see, like, the event grow and, like, right. see that tax revenues come in. And so, like, um, the Yuma crit, it, it was a, a massive event in the, in the 90s and early 2000s. Like, you would see probably five or 600 riders um, show up there to do the crit. It was a really cool downtown venue, super technical. Um, unfortunately, the promoter got hit by a car and died, so the event went away for Man. a couple of years. And when it came back, the city was still like, yeah, we'll support you guys. But we would only see like 100 riders make the trip over there. Same course, massive prize list. Um, I think it was like $6,000 one year or $5,000. Um, so they have to eat both men and women. And we saw, I think there was like 15 in the men's race and like six in the women's. And then there's like, you know, 80 other riders in the, in the different categories. And so the city did that for like two years. And they're like, you know, we're not seeing the same return that um, we were seeing in the previous iterations of this race. So we're, we're not going to keep doing this, you know? And, that, and that's really unfortunate to see because it's so infrequent that we get cities to um, throw their support behind an event. And it's, that's what's really needed to make these downtown races viable. Like if, if we wanted to bring something back in Tucson, like the old Pueblo um, GP, which used to be a USA Crits race, I'd say like ballpark figure, that's like a $25,000 crit to put on if you're paying for that out of pocket, right? And there's no way you can, you can do that off of entry fees alone. It, it's impossible. No. So you have to have, and you have to have the city behind you. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. And that's, that's really why we don't see any events in our state that are in downtown cool urban environments that you see, you know, in the Midwest and so on. Gotcha. And then Zach, talk to us about, you know, fixie races are non-sanctioned here. How, how does it differentiate from what Zach, is, or sorry, excuse me, what Joey's experiencing? So it's totally different, like way different. I don't have to worry about a lot of things that they have to worry about with sanctioned racing. Because sanctioned racing already, you got to worry about insurance everywhere you go. You got to worry about police for the most part, depending on where you're at, like Joey was saying. Um so for unsanctioned racing, like our first year of doing it, I mean, Johnny, you were at our very first race that we ever did. That was seriously little sketchy. That's why I didn't change. <laughs> yeah, that was like kind of live traffic crit, a uh, little sketchy. Um, so yeah, it started literally just like in a industrial park over on the west side, 27th Ave McDowell, just kind of tucked away quick little course that we just kind of threw some cones up made happen didn't even have course marshals really like until people got there and then like a couple people were like all right yeah i'll block the intersections and stuff like the best they could um then our second and third year um we got awesome privilege from a school to host races like in their parking lot and on one of their streets which the cops didn't really care for the most part. We had them show up twice. They always, you could just talk to them and they understand if you're not causing too much trouble, they'll just like let it go. Um, we would just donate some school supplies to the school. That was a f how we first got in there. We just uh, donated a bunch of school supplies and they were like super stoked. And so they just let us keep coming back. With that, I um, had accumulated some cones 
throughout the first year of doing a series, just kind of like when you see them and stuff, you just get a couple cones here and there. And I got a big collection of those to like make a course, went to Walmart, bought a bunch of the little like soccer cones to cone a bunch of stuff off, got some like big cones. I mean, Calvin, you've been out to the race before too. You've seen just yeah. cone it up. Um, and then having a lot of good friends that are willing to volunteer and be course marshals and make sure that there's no cars driving on the course, everything's safe. So yeah, I don't have to worry about too, too much. Like the only thing is, is a uh, cost. So like the first three years it was doing three races and like Joey's saying, um, with entry fees and stuff, you don't really cover much and that, and on sanctioned racing, psh, Props to anybody who like gets money from like hosting a sanctioned race because that is so much like money out of pocket and like just so much extra than what I have to deal with with unsanctioned racing. Um, so yeah, I will say that like sanctioned totally race, different. yeah, totally, totally different. Yeah, I kind of yeah. just chill side of it this year since we're kind of moving up into a bigger venue i do have to do like insurance and have police and emts and all that but like last year we were able to get away with having like volunteer emts and stuff like that which was really great but it's all people willing to put back into the community and with fixie crits and underground crits we're not trying to make any money off this like this is just for fun like let's just have a fun race and stuff but to host yeah. three races a year as a series, as Copper State Crit Series, um, that was kind of getting expensive to where it was like sweet. So I guess I'm not taking vacations this year, you know, like I'm <laughs> hosting bike races. <laughs> People are taking vacations here to come race some fixie crits, which is cool. It's great to see all your fixie family from all over, from the East Coast, from Florida, New York. I mean, dude, we had people from Dubai come out. That was really cool. One of our wow. homies. That's awesome. Um, he lived here, but it was just cool that he was willing to travel that far, like just to come to a fixie crit, you know. And then you got all the people from Cali, Oregon, Canada, like then people from Mexico that came to race, like so it's really cool, but it just gets super expensive. And then when it's just all out of pocket, it's kind of like, all right, so like I was saying earlier, kind of had to take a step back, make it one big race. I can like manage that a little bit better on my own like pockets between like me, how me and Olivia are doing all this, you know? So, yep. cause both of us are just doing everything out of pocket. And if there's any extra money donated, like from anybody, like we've had friends donate a couple hundred dollars here and there as like silent donors, like, Hey, just throw this in for a preem or something. Like, you know, you got that stuff. And then any entry fee or anything that's just getting added to podium, like, trying to get bigger payouts and everything like that for all the podiums because that's just what I think cycling needs as a whole is just fun races. I, I feel like people aren't making enough money. Like, you know, I know you're not supposed to make money off these races. I know, but like these bikes are expensive, man. Like the sports expensive. Like I'd like to let people go home with a couple hundred dollars, you know, right, like, right, right let them like go get some good food, like have a little team party some or something. Like, oh yeah, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, and then try and to then get, 
Yeah, so I know within while we're on that topic in terms of payouts, I know you brought that up. Uh, one trending topic in the cycling community is like equal payouts among male and female racers. And I really wanted to pick uh, Kim's brain. Kim, can you just kind of talk about why you feel equal payouts are important? And then do you do you believe that equal payouts could help attract more women to the sport? um this yes uh so (laughs) i i like i don't i don't see why equal payouts like wouldn't be a thing like it just it doesn't make sense like if you just kind of like look at it like at a at a bike race standpoint right you have a men's pro race and a women's pro race both you know like men men and women like male and female cyclists both train hard right like I, I don't show up to a race like unprepared like you know what I mean I don't put in any less effort than than like a male cyclist uh you know so it's like that it just like at that level, like if you're, if you're going to put on a pro race, like a, you know, whether it's pro one, two, three, pro one, two, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're doing a a male and a female race, they should be equal. Um, you know, so like that, that just makes sense to me, like that, that should happen. And, but I don't think that the payout is the thing that's gonna make more women race or that it should make anybody race. Like, you know, like, yes, like Zach was saying, like he, he wants to send people home with some money cause this is an expensive sport. And so that's great. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's an awesome like thing for a promoter to want to do. But I don't think like as a cyclist that you should be like, Oh, I'm not going to show up to this race because I can't win any money, you know, because unless you are a professional cyclist yeah. making a living off of this, like, like you're doing it for fun. It, it's a, it's something that you should do because you want to do it because you enjoy doing it. And, you know, so right. like, I, I guess I have a, I have a question like for Joey and for Zach, like, how do you determine like, like the payouts for the races that you put on? Like, I know Joey is like really great about equal payout, you know, like, but like, how does the payout structure like get determined, you know, because then you see like some of the masters races get payouts. Some of the like cat three, four races get payouts. Like who, how do you determine like how you're going to, who you're going to pay and like what you're going to pay. So for me, I can answer that really quick if you want, just because I have like a quick answer. We have a budget for our podium, like guaranteed. Um, It's just about like, we have about $1,200 guaranteed. So that's 600 between each podium. So 300, 200, 100, one, two, three. That's how we pay out our men and women's podium, equal cash payouts, no matter what. Any extra money that gets donated, sometimes we have had silent donors say this goes to the women's category. So just because they want to give the women's race more money, which is fine. So we do that. Um, we haven't had anybody say this only goes to the male category, which... I don't know why, but we just haven't. And um, most of the, all like all the rest of the money that we've had donated just gets split or it's just like preem laps that were split. So like if we got $50 for preem, it was $25 to the women's race, $25 to the men's race. So just always 
try to keep it equal because we're doing unsanctioned, so it's not super hard, and we have our budget set. Sure. So you have a budget, and so what made you decide like that you were going to split it evenly? You know what I mean? Like, because apparently some race promoters just don't want to do that. Um. So me and my girlfriend Olivia both run Copper State Crit Series, and we both like have raced in like the velodrome i've raced bmx and we've both just like raced fixie crits and stuff and so we just believe just like as a personal belief that it needs to be equal payouts and like i don't like being that person i'm just like if you don't do an equal payout that's just kind of bs like you're putting on an event um everybody's doing this like you said everybody's training just as much like they're coming out they're traveling like it's an expensive sport they're buying the bikes they're buying the gear like it's all it should just all be equal so yeah and so i'm really glad you brought up this question because it's i think it's something that needs to be discussed a lot more openly actually i think race finances need to be discussed a lot more in the open um because i think there'd be a lot deeper appreciation for um, what goes into a race financially, if more riders knew exactly how much it costs, um, <laughs> there'd probably be a lot less complaining about some, some things from a certain demographic, none of which are represented in this podcast. Um, but I would say the way I do it is, um, I similar to what Zach is saying, I have no no rational reason for why it shouldn't pay the men and women the same. Like it, it makes absolutely sense. So yeah, I'm just going to, whatever I can put aside to pay equal, that's what I'm, I'm going to do. I, I do think that um, really only the, the pro categories. So if it's pro one, two, three, pro one, two, whatever, that should be the only category getting prize money. Um, because as you were alluding to, when you were speaking, it's a hobby for all of us, right? Like we're not going to get rich off of this. Um, we all have, for the most part, we all have day jobs to go to on Monday. Um, so, you know, I think the, for being able to participate in the event, right. That's really what makes, which to be the driving factors like, Oh, I get to go do a cool race, you know, in ASU's campus or this cool road race out in Oracle, whatever, you know, they're closing down the course. There's, it's going to be safe. It's swept, blah, blah, blah. That's what you're really paying for. Not necessarily the fact that I'm offering like $150 to the top three. The, if I have a lot of sponsors, so like this year for, for Oracle, when I originally put the flyer out, um, I only had prize money for the pro categories and then registration trends were looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden Pinal County just came out of the blue and said, hey, we love that you're putting an event on in Southern Pinal County because there's not a lot going on down there. We're going to write you a check for like 2,500 bucks. Um, you know, put us all over your your flyers and stuff and, you know, have, and I was like, oh my God, I can like increase the payout for like everything, right? Hindsight, like, I don't think it really makes, made a difference in, in terms of participation. There's been a lot of, um, surveys conducted in other local associations that the prize money for the lower categories has relatively no bearing on if people are going to show up or not. It's more the experience that they get at the event um, and the quality of the venues. But there is like a tipping point in, I think, like in terms of like attracting people to race in the pro categories. Like if you put out like a $10,000 purse for the men and women, 
you're going to get people traveling, you know, from California and Colorado and Utah. And For sure. Like you know, you know, no one, no one's traveling to, to get rich off of my, you know, $150 payout <laughs> that you get for winning the road race, you know? And then the way I determine that structure for the lower categories, um, I usually do the top three. So just the podium. And then I start with whatever the entry fee is for the race. And then I add like 20 ish bucks up until, you know, I get to like 150 or something like that. And then, uh, for the pro fields, I usually do like five deep again, starting at like roughly what the entry fee is or a little bit above that. And then adding on like 20 bucks or something, um, up to the, the maximum. And then it's just a matter of looking at the number of fields that I'm paying and then ensuring that it doesn't exceed, you know, what I got sponsorship dollars to, to actually cover. Um, so yeah. That's good. I mean, that, that would make sense. Like as a lower category racer, I don't really care about the money aspect of it for the podium. So I think if you added that to just the pro men's and women's fields, that makes complete sense to me. And I think probably more races should be geared towards that. And I think, you know, with the amount of time pro athletes period spend at their craft, they should not be losing money at the very least, at least be breaking even, I would say in terms of they've got to get the hotel if they're traveling somewhere. And then when you want to win, when you win, I mean, you have bills as well. So this is something that you're a professional at. So I hope that does change soon. Um, another question that I have for um, you guys is how has the pandemic affected your training or your riding in general? We can just start with Rob first and then kind of work, work our way around. Yeah. So, you know, the way it's impacted is quite honestly, not much at all. Uh, besides, I mean, of course, like races get canceled, right? Your whole season goes down to because of it, but you know, I've been riding outdoors, I think, as much as I had been prior to the pandemic. Um, in the past year or so, I've sort of shifted toward a lot of solo training anyway. I broke my collarbone on a group ride about a year ago, and um, I have just been kind of doing a solo for since then. So, you know, in that sense, um, it has not impacted me a, a whole bunch. Now, I, I'm still on, like, my normal training plan, right? I'm still doing the workouts that get prescribed. I'm doing all that. I sometimes ask myself why I'm doing it, right? Like, what am <laughs> I actually training for? Um, but I think in a sense, like, it keeps me sane, right? Routine. So it's actually, I think, been really healthy, right, for my mental health to get outdoors and keep that same routine going. Right. Joey, what about you? Um, it, it, the motivation ebbs and flows. Um. I, I'm someone that's often structures their training and, and their season around the races that are, uh, that are available. So, um, especially for me, like the, the collegiate season's a, a pretty, pretty important part. Um, and especially going to like collegiate nationals. So with everything getting canceled, um, and pushed back, it's kind of like, well, there's not really a point to go out and do, you know, a four hour training ride or a three hour training ride. I could just go, spin around, enjoy being outside for a little bit and then, you know, focus on my research and, and so on. Um, right. And, and there's some days where it's just like, you know, I, I just don't feel like riding a bike today. So I'm just gonna, you know, go for a walk or a hike. So it does kind of free up some, uh, 
free up time to go do other activities that aren't just like structured around around cycling. Zach. Um. So, I mean, as like some of you guys know, I got hit by a car, freaking shattered my tibia, had to get those two surgeries. So recently just got on a bike. So I was kind of already like quarantined at home before everything happened. <laughs> like, I got my second surgery right as everything was kind of taking place. And I was seeing all the signs in the hospital, like, Hey, like be safe and all that. Um, so I kind of just recently got back on a bike and I just commute to and from work right now. Just work at state bicycle coast so just ride my little 13 miles to and from work uh it's about it on the track bike trying to just get the leg better um do some rides here and there like road somo you know but nothing yep. too major just trying to get the leg like strong man so i can race if any fixed gear crits happen this year i mean it looks like right now for the calendar is late september just mission crit and like copper state crit but i can't race my own race so i guess i mean it worked out though because i was supposed to go to berlin to race fix 42 and that got canceled and i was like totally broken at that time so i mean kind of worked out in my favor i guess yeah for getting canceled uh yeah berlin would have been fun though yeah just training is literally for me is for what fixed gear race am i really wanting to race like that's about it if do i want to race like a hard crit or like hill climb fixie race or you know like little indoor go-kart fixie race road fixie race like open road a to b you never know sounds fun yeah i mean rad race dude they do a bunch of awesome events crazy 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 events and then um, Johnny and Kim, you guys are on the pro level. So, I mean, I know there's no real races in the foreseeable future, but you got to maintain that fitness, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, um, trying to for sure. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. I, I feel like I've had the most like time to ride my bike ever. It's funny. Strava was like, oh, this is the best shape I've been in in two years. And I was like laughing wow. at it because I was like, oh just in time for nothing. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've stayed motivated with, you know, some local KOMs. There's some dumb virtual racing that's happening, uh, around Papago. And so I'm kind of jumping in that too. Um, not dumb in the fact that it's happening, but dumb in that I care as much as I do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll race anything. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've stayed in shape. My plan is to kind of continue just to ride a lot and ride hard. And, um, I like it probably more so for my validation than anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to be ready whenever coach says, let's go put me in, put me in coach. I'll be ready to go. Yeah. Stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. What about (laughs) you, Kim? Yeah. Kind of like Johnny said, like, I feel like I actually have more time now to ride because without traveling to races every weekend, um, you know, I just have a lot more free time to ride my bike. So I sort of have just reverted back to as if this was base season. Um, I'm riding a lot, but I'm not really doing like structured intensity because there really is no like definitive race that's going to start my season um 
you know, Johnny mentioned USA crits earlier, which is a big series that my team participates in. Um, and a lot of those races have been postponed for late September and into October. And a lot of them have also just been canceled because like Joey talked about earlier, it's really hard to put on a bike race in a downtown area. So to have one scheduled and then have to like reschedule it is probably really, really hard. Um, you know, so I don't really know when I'll race my bike, but, uh, I kind of just like to ride my bike a lot. And, I, uh, like Johnny was also saying the validation, I kind of just like to like ride my bike and like feel like I'm good at riding my bike. So yeah. that's my, that, that's, that's my motivation to train is, you know, like, uh, I just want to, I just want to do it. And, you know, if, if it turns out that we get to race at any point in 2020, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that all of my riding, um, will, you know, turn out to me being good at bikes when I need to be. Hopefully we do get to do something in like September, October timeframe. That's what I'm hoping for. And then, so with respect to time, I know we're running up against the clock about an hour in. Um, we're going to close it off with just the two final and most important questions of this entire podcast. We ask all our guests this, so we'll go around and we want to know your favorite quarantine snack and then your favorite quarantine movie. And we can start with Joey. Uh, say chocolate covered almonds. And I eat those too, bro. I got a bag in the cabinet. Yeah, there you got to hide them. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, uh, and then oh geez, movie. I don't know. Um, or watched show. Breaking, watched Breaking Away the other day. What's that about? Uh, it's about the little five hundred. It's a that's a bike race at the IU's campus, Indiana okay. University. It's a movie from like the early eighties or so. It's a like cult classic for cycling. If you haven't watched it, it's worth your time. Is it on Netflix, YouTube, what? It's on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, I'll break it away. I'm going to check that out. Rob, you, favorite quarantine snack or in movie Dude, or show? Um, right after Easter, I went and bought multiple bags of those cat eggs, those chocolate ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been eating those, like, nonstop. And, you know, I'm riding <laughs> a lot. I'm wondering, like, how I gained a couple pounds because I keep, like, just mowing through those bags. And, you know, favorite quarantine movie, you know, Buddy and I actually, we, we started doing like a virtual movie night where we'll get on uh, Discord, like a new text chat while we watch yeah, a movie together yeah. with some other people. And we just watched uh, the original Terminator. That was cool. When was the first one? Is the 80s or 90s? Yeah, like 1984. Okay. I haven't seen that one. I'm about to look that one up too. Oh man, we, we got to do another virtual movie night. We just got to watch the same movie. You know he rides bikes, right, Schwarzenegger? I did not know that. Yeah, he rides bikes with no helmet, but, I mean, he's on a bike, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Terminator. I guess he doesn't need a helmet. <laughs> he, he can do it. All right. Uh, Zach, favorite quarantine snack and quarantine movie? Dude, well, because you're talking about snacks, I'm actually going to have to go to the store to get it because I've just ran out, but – this like ice cream is called caramel cone. Holy cow. Dude, <laughs> so good. Like I can kill a pint and then I'm like, all right, well, at least I'm commuting to work 
tomorrow and the rest of the week. So probably kill like a couple more pints. But yeah, that stuff's awesome. And then movie, I would have to say Hot Tub Time Machine just because it's a super funny comedy that I can watch like over and over. And I'm like looking at my DVDs and I have two copies of it. Wow. Did you do that on purpose? Dude, what's bad is it's like on Amazon Prime. So I've already, I just watch it on my like Apple TV. I don't even watch it on my DVDs. But yeah, that's probably the movie and the snack right there. Okay. And then Johnny? Um, man, mine is don't say sound anything so healthy, lame. man. I, I'm going to sound like the dumbest person. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, I really like, I'm into those Stacy's, uh, pita chips. Oh gosh. I sound like such an idiot. Um, <laughs> with like hummus? they're so freaking good. No, not with hummus. Thankfully not just plain. Gosh, I sound so white. Um, and, <laughs> uh, LaCroix. Gosh. Uh, I'm on a LaCroix that. kick right now, too. The lime. Lime Dude, flavor. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Star Wars. Watch, watch a lot of Star Wars. Kim? I'm going to change my answer to Sour uh, Patch Kids, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like pita chips, too. I, would, I don't know that I would pick that as my, my snack. Um, I eat a bowl of granola or a bowl of cereal with yogurt, like, every night. And that sounds really healthy. Wow. I know. But then, like, I put on, like, half a jar of peanut butter. um, And then whatever else is in my fridge that goes with cereal and yogurt and peanut butter. So it's probably, like, my entire daily caloric intake in one sitting after already eating all of my calories. Um, And I don't really watch a lot of movies. cereal? It just depends. Which cereal? It varies. Like, right now, I just have to, like... Okay, like right now I have some like I've got some granola. I've got some uh, maple almond crunch granola. Um, uh-huh. It just really depends. I walk down the cereal aisle Those and I just so like, healthy, huh? I just pick things that that look that look good. You know, granola sounds healthy, so people will think that. But then if you actually pay attention to like the the calories and the sugar and like the serving size versus my bowl, um, all all health mm-hmm. is thrown out the window. Absolutely, just. <laughs> No, no regard for any of that. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't really watch a lot of movies, but uh, I will pretty much watch anything that is stupid on Netflix. Um, I definitely binge-watched five seasons of a Canadian tow truck show. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, like, and, and so because you do that, and then Netflix just also is like, because you watched tow truck 405 yeah. or whatever that show was called you might also like this and i'm like yes netflix i will so that's how i spend my free time awesome yeah <laughs> the trucks. i've watched i've watched, Johnny, I've also the trucks, watched shows about like australian <laughs> This is embarrassing. You can cut that part out. Um, we'll just pretend like, you know, I, I do something cool in my no, free that's, time. That's gonna be the that's gonna be the intro, Kim. That's gonna be the intro. <laughs> no, but I thank you guys all for your time and uh coming on here and joining me and getting this round round table discussion knocked out. I really appreciate it. I think there's a lot of good informative information for 
both cyclists and um, some people who may just be getting introduced to the to the sport. So I'll put everybody's social media information in the description of this episode. So make sure you look at that if you want to follow any of these individuals on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it may be. And be sure to tune in next week for the episode that we have coming up next. Thank you for listening.